today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantar. Lust is this thing that takes and destroys, but love is very, very different. See, the problem with lust is that Scripture says, lust equals death. In the beginning, we were created to glorify God and to enjoy one another and to enjoy creation. But Adam and Eve, our first parents, they made a decision. The serpent said, look, if you just do this, you'll be like God. And so they, in that moment, rather than fulfilling the purpose of what they were created for, decided, you know what, I'm going to take. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he's strong to save. Open God, he's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. The Apostle Paul will be contrasting love and lust regarding marriage in this text today. The only way a marriage can survive is when two believers genuinely love the Lord. If you don't have if you don't have a good vertical relationship with the Lord, then all your horizontal relationships with others, including your spouse, will become weakened as well. Lust is extremely selfish and when conceived will grow up to bring destruction in your life. However, love is selfless and is found in Jesus' example. Now here's Pastor Ricky in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, with part one of our message entitled Married in Christ. Ephesians 5, verse 21, Paul has been encouraging the church to be filled with the Spirit and a number of marks of the Spirit in this last mark of being filled with the Spirit or implication of being filled with the Spirit is verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he may present the church to himself in splendor, with a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Well, this passage is a a major contrast to a couple weeks ago when we talked about love versus lust in in the beginning of Ephesians. Um, And we saw that love and lust were very different. They seem similar in our world, kind of are muddled up together. But we saw that lust, at its core, lust takes and love gives. Lust is concerned with itself and love is concerned with the good of others. The direction of lust is inward. And it's almost like when you give yourself over to lust, and what I mean, not just sexual lust, but just an orientation where you are seeking to take from people. 
to make yourself happy. It's almost like a black hole. If you've ever seen one of those you know, science shows, maybe I was a nerd, but you know, I used to watch those science shows on, uh, on television where they have a computer animated graphic of this black hole that's sucking in stars and galaxies and just crushing stuff on a cosmic scale. And, and that is in essence a picture of lust. Lust is this thing that takes and destroys, but love is very, very different. See, the problem with lust is that scripture says, Lust equals death. In the beginning, we were created to glorify God and to enjoy one another and to enjoy creation. But Adam and Eve, our first parents, they made a decision. The serpent said, look, if you just do this, you'll be like God. And so they, in that moment, rather than fulfilling the purpose which they were created for, decided, you know what, I'm gonna take I'm going to take glory from God. I'm going to seek to make the universe revolve around me. And two horrible things happened. One, the world became profoundly broken and marred by sin. But two, the irony is that human beings, through our first parents, cut ourselves off from the actual, the, the only thing that could actually make us happy, joyful, and satisfied. Because we were created, and understand we were designed to find our joy in pursuing the joy of the Lord and the joy of others. And so we cut ourselves off from that. And is it any wonder that we're unhappy? Maybe you've had a friend um, over the years that, that keeps having a pattern of just cratering relationship after relationship, right? You just, there's, there seems to be a string of unsuccessful dating relationships, perhaps a string of unsuccessful marriages. And, and you think, and at a certain point, perhaps your friend has said, you know what, I think it's just every guy in this world is just messed up, or every girl in this world is just messed up. They're just all horrible. None of them are giving me what I need or what I want. And maybe you've had thought in the back of your mind and never voiced it, you know, friend, Maybe the problem is, is you to some degree. Not, you know, excusing the, the sin of your spouse or your girlfriend or whatever, but if the pattern is that you want stuff and you want to take in terms of relationships and then you keep taking and taking and then wonder why you're unhappy, well, God's word says the problem is that your direction is all wrong. Here's the big idea this morning. Rather than taking rather than an inward direction marriage in Christ is is meant to be lived upward and outward rather than being turned in on itself where the point of marriage is you and satisfying yourself the direction of marriage which actually takes care of your own joy is that marriage is meant to be lived upward and outward and here's what this looks like if if you step back way 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 back to the point of, of looking at the whole Bible and ask the question, what does God want from us? What, what, why are we here? Well, one place you can go to find this is to look at how Jesus summarized all of the laws in the Old Testament. Somebody came to him and said, okay, Jesus, summarize for us everything the Bible teaches, which you think, okay, I, I would like Jesus, I would be interested in that. Somebody could take this whole book and boil it down to like two sentences. I would like to know that. And Jesus does that in Matthew 22. And he says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so we see the trajectory of human life is meant to be lived upward and outward. We're meant to, to bring glory to the Lord and to love him and to love others. And Paul repeats this purpose in Ephesians. He, he says early, earlier on in Ephesians 4.1, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And so he says, you've been called by God in Ephesians 1. Now live worthy, glorify God in the way that you live. Glorify the God that called you. So in this passage, what do we find? Well, we find that Verse 31, the reason I read that is, look at verse 31 with me. It says, we're to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, what's interesting is this section about husbands and wives continues with commands to children and parents and to um, bond servants and masters or to, to use our language, kind of bosses and employees to some degree. And it, that command, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, is the headline that kind of hangs over this whole passage. And so the whole passage is under this, out of reverence for Christ. So Paul is saying, look, in every area of your life, you're meant to live it upward, to, to do things that, that honor and glorify Jesus Christ. The reason we should do what Paul is commanding with our marriages and our homes and our jobs is out of reverence for Christ, an upward trajectory. But second, it's also meant to be lived outward. The, the purpose of marriage is to bring Oh, actually, before I get there, I have to, I have to say this because this is really, really helpful related to the upward trajectory of marriage. Verse 32 is, is very interesting, isn't it? Look at verse 32 with me. It says, this mystery, meaning marriage, is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, in Scripture, a mystery is something that was, it's not a mystery like, like a whodunit, right? Like, if you ever read an Agatha Christie novel or watched a murder mystery per, per, police crime procedural? It's not a mystery in the sense that, like, oh, I wonder who killed this guy. In, in Scripture, mystery is something that's hidden or partially hidden that suddenly comes to light. So it, it, Paul is saying that before Christ came, the purpose of marriage was partially hidden, but suddenly it's been revealed. So to use the analogy of, you know, a mystery on, on, um, on CBS, I, I, CBS is just perpetually cop dramas that end like this, right? So whatever show, doesn't really matter. In the last five minutes, you found, find out who killed the guy or took the stuff or did the thing or whatever, right? And so you, you realize at the end, oh my gosh, the clues were there all along and all of a sudden it's revealed what the truth is. Well, Paul is saying, this is a happy mystery, that Christ was hidden in some sense throughout the Old Testament. The purpose of marriage was hidden throughout the Old Testament. And suddenly, when Christ comes, the purpose of marriage is revealed. Well, what's the purpose of marriage? It's meant to be a picture of Christ and the church. It's, it's meant to be a picture of what Jesus has done for the church and his relationship with the church, that, that he saw his bride from far away, that he came to earth for her, that he sought her to the point of his own death, that he rose again, rescuing her and freeing her. And now she, the bride of Christ, returns his love and she's amazed at his love and she responds to this love. And Paul is saying that this picture is the point of your marriage, of every marriage. 
And the reason, one of the key reasons Paul is so concerned about marriage is not first how we're relating to one another, but that marriage itself glorifies God. So when we look at this upward trajectory, we see the Lord's purpose for marriage and it changes the way that we think about marriage. I mean, think about this. What if we had an evangelism, evangelism initiative as a church? And this would be our plan to get the story of the gospel of what Jesus has done into every city in America. And actually not just every city, but to, to every neighborhood in America, to every group of children in the neighborhood, to, to reach the lost in every apartment complex, every block, every city street. And, and we announce we've got an initiative that's gonna get the gospel in front of every single person in America. I mean, I'm sure we could raise some money for that, right? We could get fired up about that. Like, yes, we're going to do this. What Paul is saying is that that picture is biblical marriage and that it's embedded on every block and every city street and everywhere there's meant to be a couple living out this picture. I mean, imagine if you could with an unbelieving family member, get the gospel to them week after week after week. You would love to do that. Well, your marriage is that. And, and that picture, that purpose of God is part of the upward trajectory of marriage. That when we see that that's the purpose of marriage, it makes us go, yes, Lord, I want to glorify you and I want to fulfill my role in this marriage because I love you. Because this is a precious picture of what you have done. We should first care about marriage because we care about God. God has embedded a picture of himself and his relationship to the church of the gospel itself in every marriage. So our first thought must be, what does my upward trajectory look like? Is the direction of my marriage first looking up to God and seeking to glorify him in my marriage? So the gospel orients our marriages upward, but it also orients our marriages outward. Paul says in Ephesians 5, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we're to be oriented upward and oriented outward in marriage. And we see this outward orientation in the commands of the husbands and the wives. The, the wife's orientation, as we'll see, is, is to come alongside and support her husband's spiritual leadership. She's, she's not first thinking, okay, am I getting everything I want? Now that's important and we're gonna talk about that. But, but she, her first thought is, am I glorifying God? Am I doing this out of reverence for Christ? Am I walking out my marriage out of reverence for Christ? And then am I loving the person that Christ has given me to love in my husband. And the husband's orientation should be to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And so he's oriented upward saying, Lord, I want to I walk this out in a way that honors you. And the way that he walks that out is by loving his wife. And so his trajectory is upward and outward. Too many relationships and marriages in our world are the marriage of two black holes wondering why they're having a conflict, Right? When you have two people that come together and they're both seeking to take from one another and they kind of come into close proximity with one another, at, at worst, you're going to get an all-out war, right? Because it's like, I need this emotionally or I need this financially or I need this sexually and I'm going to, I need this. Why aren't you providing this? And the per, this person is oriented to taking and the other person is oriented to taking and it, it just ends in chaos, 
At best, an orientation of marriage like that becomes nothing more than like a business swap or a business transactional. Okay, well, I'll provide these things for you and I'll go to your movie if you go to my movie, okay? I'll do your hobby if you come to my hobby. I'll do this if you'll do this for me. And in essence, you wake up every day and you don't, it'd be like putting on a suit, sitting with your wife in front of the kitchen table and, and negotiating your life. Well, I really, I really feel like we need to give more of a priority to my sports hobbies. Well, I, you know, Bill, if I'm going to give you that, I'm going to need something in return. Like, and you just are swapping back and forth, and then you get to some kind of a deal. But at the end of the day, if you, even if you've successfully swapped all this stuff and worked out a business negotiation, the orientation is still the same. It's, it's me. I want. So I'll give you something, but I want something in return. See, marriage in Christ is radically different. It's upward so that it gets rid of those negotiations and those contracts to say, Lord, I want to glorify you in this marriage. That's my first priority. And what that looks like is orienting myself outward to the good of my spouse. Think about how different it would be if in the morning, instead of a business negotiation where you're trying to buy and sell and trade quantities in your marriage, you come to the table with a list of ways you're going to serve your spouse. And they come to the table with a list of ways they want to serve you. I would rather be at that meeting, right? I'd rather come up with, babe, I want to take you on a date. And I've been realizing you've been struggling with this. And so I want to help you with this. And she's coming with, you know what, babe, I want to serve you in this way. And I want to help you with this. And, and you're thinking, man, this is awesome. See, that's where we find our joy and happiness. That's, that's an upward and outward orientation to our marriages. Now, with that big idea, very briefly, I want to unpack four questions that come out of this passage. And the first question is probably this. How can differing roles make our marriage upward and outward? Now, I want to get into what the, you know, the wife and, and what, the, what the Scripture says to her and what the husband's, you know, what the Scripture says to her. And singles, don't check out because there's a section for you. All the singles simultaneously, like five minutes into this thing, were like, Facebook sounds good right now. So... Another Sunday, Singleness Sunday, we're going to talk about marriage. Hang in there, guys. This really does apply to you guys and gals. This applies to you. But first, we have to ask a question that kind of trips us up as soon as we get into this, because this text is so controversial in our day. Um, the question you may have on your mind is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yesterday was International Women's Day, right? Okay. And I, you know, I can't help but notice the wife is told to do some things and the husband is told to do other things. And why can't they be the same? Why can't the husband's things to do and the wife's things to do just be the same? Why aren't, we, why aren't we going for equality here? What's up with this outdated book? This is sexism. This is chauvinism. The roles shouldn't be different. They should be the same. Or maybe if you're, if you're a Christian, you're wondering, okay, I do see that there's somewhat of a difference in, in terms of what the wife's told to do and the husband's supposed to do, and we're going to get into what that looks like. But maybe your sincere question is, how does that actually glorify God? Wouldn't it be more glorifying to God for us to just be the same? Well, that's what we're going to talk about for a minute, because I don't want that to trip you up. This is the truth that's kind of across scriptures. In many passages, in many places, differing roles reflect God and therefore glorify God. For some people to do one thing and some people to do another thing, that glorifies God because it reflects God. And here's what I mean by that. 
God himself is three distinct persons, right? Yet fully God. And yet every member of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they all have differing roles. They're not all exactly the same. The Father didn't come in the human flesh, right? The Father didn't walk the earth. He sent Christ. And so Christ walked the earth. But then Christ left and he didn't send the Father. He sent the Spirit. And so you could look at the Trinity and go, okay, wait a minute. If I'm the Holy Spirit, I'm like, why am I last? So we got a lot of the Father and then Jesus comes and I'm like the, you know, I'm just the guy at the end. Oh, I'm leaving, but I'll give you the Holy Spirit like thrown in there. And maybe God's like, well, I didn't even get to go to the earth. I, I sent Jesus. I would like to go to the earth. And Jesus is like, well, I was the one that had to die, right? I mean, and, and I, I don't know if my role is good and equal and valuable related to your others. Now, we don't see any of that in the Bible, do we? What we see is that the Trinity is perfectly equal in value. No one's going to argue that Jesus is less valuable than the Father, are they? No one's going to argue that the Spirit is less valuable than the Son. They're all fully God. And so when God creates, he creates not just one gender, but male and female. And what this means is this. God is so amazing that his image on the earth in humanity is, is reflected in human beings, not in mono, but in stereo. Have you ever listened to an audio sound system where there's a, it's a mono sound system, meaning that that's just one thing kind of coming out of the speakers? But then you go to a theater where it has, what, surround sound. And all of a sudden you can hear, oh man, there's a guitar over here and, and the drums are over here. Or if you're in a theater, you could hear somebody walking and then they walk and, and, and your ears are going, whoa, this is so real, this is so vivid. In essence, that's what God has done by creating male and female. His, his image can't be expressed adequately just with men or just with women. He gives both, both equal in value, but different to reflect himself. And these three persons of the Trinity that we're meant to reflect all love and glorify and bring glory to one another. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit loves the Son and the Father. The Spirit empowers the Son so that the Son glorifies the Father. Each member of the Trinity is full of self-giving love toward one another. So if we are to reflect God, it means that differing roles somehow in God's design better reflect him. And when we better reflect him, we better live our marriages and our lives in an upward, God-glorifying orientation. But I bet that's not really your problem, is it? And that's not your question. Your question is, how is, this word is so loaded in our culture, how does submitting to anyone actually help this? Okay, I get maybe men and women are different. They have kind of differences and that reflects God. But this submission thing, I have a major problem with that. Well, I'm going to give some qualifications, but listen to this. Submission, understood biblically, also reflects and glorifies God. Because in the Trinity, there is submission for the glory of God and the good of others. Hope in God, oh my soul.
By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These verses from Ephesians speak to who we are in Jesus and how we became one of His. Pastor Ricky will be taking us through the book of Ephesians, seeking the answer to the question, Who am I? For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. Sometimes it is just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. We also encourage you to follow the Cross of Grace Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP, where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in and please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio.